Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello everyone and welcome to the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. On this episode of the show, I have Mike Shopon from WGR Buffalo 550. Mike is a local talk show, uh, you know, sports talk show host in the Buffalo area and he came highly recommended to me from Michael Yoni who has listened to Mike's show for a long time. We have a really interesting discussion about, you know, what it's like to live a life as an on-air radio show host, how Mike fell in love with football, uh, how he has to deal with being knowledgeable about football, baseball, hockey, uh, Mike's history in playing fantasy football, what it's like to be an on-air personality. I think it's a a pretty interesting discussion and maybe peels the curtain back for you guys a little bit on what it's like to be an on-air personality. Of course, if you want to support the show, You can always leave a like, rating, or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's very helpful. And of course, we always have bonus episodes on the Patreon version of the show, www.patreon.com slash TateCast, ad-free versions of the show, bonus episodes, and we have a Patreon-only Discord channel for all of you guys. And after a quick advertisement, we will get into the show. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a moment out from the show to tell you about our proud sponsor, DailyRoto.com. You guys know that I have joined up forces with Daily Roto and Roto Experts full-time and wanted to communicate to you a little bit about their golf product. Of course, with your premium subscription to Daily Roto, you get their amazing NFL, NBA, and MLB tools. They have also partnered with Data Golf to provide the best customizable projections for PGA DFS as well as outright top 5 and top 20 betting. Using their tools, you can calculate the EV for outright top 5 and top 20 bets, as well as create the best and most customizable projections for PGA Daily Fantasy in the industry. You can save 10% on your subscription using the promo code Rory right now. And now back to the show. Alright everyone, would like to welcome in Mike Shope to the show. Mike is a on-air radio host from the Buffalo area. He works at WGR Buffalo and uh, he he came highly recommended from none other than Michael Leone to myself. Leone is a, a big listener and I was, I was pretty fascinated with the idea of talking to someone who does my job but does it for real on the radio. Mike, how are you doing this morning? Fine. Thanks, Davis. Glad to be with you. Yeah, uh, glad uh, glad you're joining us. So uh, pretty much every time someone comes on the show, I like to get an idea of, you know, how their how their life and their career ended up here. So how did the business of sports journalism speak to you? Did you always want to be on the radio or did you just love sports and find the avenue through the radio? Kind of how did you end up here? I'm a I'm a pretty traditional case, I think. Um, I was one of those kids that taped themselves 
broadcasting games, you know, pretend on TV. Um, I kind of always wanted to do it back in the eighties. When I grew up, there really weren't the kind of shows that I do now or that exist now where, you know, it's just a, it's a, a four hour sports show, but there's a lot of opinion and sometimes some non-sports. Most of the shows I used to listen to were pretty straight. I mean, I should say, it's not even most of the shows like the one or two that existed that were available to me were like that. They would read the horse racing results and whatever. And, um, then I went to college for it and I worked at a newspaper in Rochester for a few years and that was great, but I liked the idea. I still wanted to be on the air. I thought I sounded good. And I liked the idea of that immediate feedback that the paper really did not quite deliver on. So I got into radio about 20 years ago and I've been at my current station since 2002. So when did when did like drive time radio like sports talk radio I don't even actually know how did that really start? I'm not the biggest expert on that but the story like the answer I would give you is Mike and the Mad Dog New York City WFAN yeah, that, that sounds about right yeah that, I guess everything everything I know about uh, about sports and like the East Coast and the media climate at the time comes from either reading Bill Simmons or listening to his podcast and yeah he references Mike and Mad Dog all the time so I think I would I would guess you're yep. probably right there was a 30 for 30 about them it was um it was good uh, I think that their personalities those guys were the reason why that that took off and then stations or companies bought into the idea of sports talk. Uh, again, like I don't know all that story, but I know that in Buffalo, uh, WGR, which is one of the oldest radio stations in the country moved to sports a little bit, a few years or a couple of years before I started there, I was working for a competitor and then they hired me in the middle of that, uh, like 2002, as I said. So, um, they've been all sports for 20 years or more. Well, thank good, thank goodness for Mike and the Mad Dog then, because I definitely would not want to be doing anything else other than what I'm doing now. Uh, is is mm-hmm. is football your favorite sport? Do you have uh, like like on a scale of one to ten, how much do you love football compared to basketball, hockey? I assume in your market, hockey talk is like a probably a a big segment of what your listeners want. Yes, uh, as my co-host put it once, the you know you have a classic rock station or more than one in every market. And all they do, it seems is play Led Zeppelin. It seems like that's kind of the joke. Right. And the Buffalo bills and Buffalo Sabres are our Led Zeppelin. So we're like, we have a nationally ranked college basketball team in Buffalo this year. And there's triple a baseball and the, the football know, some team, interested... the, the Buffalo university bulls are also like not bad right. most of the time. Right. UB had a good season and they're, they're really, they're really peaking right now in, in the big sports. But um, we do. We spend most of our time on the Bills and the Sabers. I am more a baseball fan than any other sport, and so that's kind of strange, maybe. But um, fantasy football has made me more interested in football, and I feel like I'm more knowledgeable about the league through it. Um, and that's just like sort of that's just good for me. I have more confidence talking about other teams and situations than I used to, and I really didn't care that much about them before getting into fantasy. So most of my interest in football is through fantasy at this stage of my life in the bills, like any kid here, I grew up rooting for them, but it got tougher and tougher to do that uh, with their performance. And also like me having a professional role in all this. So do you find that you are mostly like an agnostic bills fan these days? Like if, if they were to win a super bowl, you would be happy, but the losses are just really not crushing. I think it's more because of my job and how I see it than it is that, but it's both. I've thought about like, what would it feel like if they win? It wouldn't, I don't think it would really feel like mine. I mean, I'm often at odds with, with, you know, whatever you want to call certain fans, like super fans or people who get upset at criticism of the team because it is criticism of the team, not because of whether it's right. Like I, I'm often butting heads with a certain crowd that's like that. And so I think, I mean, I wouldn't disown myself from any, you know, feeling good for them or feeling good for, for the area if they won, but it it doesn't, it wouldn't really feel like mine anymore. I mean, that's, I, I sort of think that I kind of relinquished my role as a fan 
in the traditional sense when I got into this, uh, you know, based on how I do it. I mean, I, my thing is trying to be right. And that usually means with the bills, as it happens, that I'm critical of them because I don't think they've been right very much uh, with big decisions or anything for a long time. So that's, that's kind of how it has gone for me. I'm 47 years old. And I think if they did win, I mean, I, I don't really know what it would feel like. It's just been so far away <laughs> for so long. Um, but I don't think it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really think of it. I don't really think of it as being my win. Like I would right. if, uh, maybe I worked at a bank. Well, yeah. And so I, I've had a, a similar experience in the sense that I grew up being a, a Dallas Cowboys fan and my dad was a Dallas Cowboys fan and you know, whatever. And about a year and a half ago, I was just like, it just does not make any sense for me to live and die with this team. I know too much about football. I know that they are making suboptimal decisions at, at pretty much every turn. I don't like the owner. I don't like the coach. And so I just, I just, this year I just stopped rooting for them and you know, they, they made the playoffs and I was kind of thinking the whole time, well, well, what would it feel like if this is the year that I stopped sweating them and this was the year they made the Super Bowl or this was the year they did something intelligent and my my line right now is I I refuse to root for them until at least they fire Jason Garrett. But certainly there is something about working in journalism and working in covering a sport professionally that just makes you pretty dispassionate about whatever team that you used to root for or used to really want to do well. Do you do you feel the same holds true for you in baseball, even though that's not as much a part of your job? Yes, and I I'm happy to tell you about my my baseball journey, if yeah, you will. Please. So let's do it. I was, I was a Mets fan by my high school years. I was really into the Mets. They were on TV. They were young and getting good. And I was right there. So the timing was just right for that. And by the late nineties. So that's the, that's the 86 world series. And I lived and died with that team. And then the, like by the late nineties or even by the mid nineties, the Mets were a huge joke. I mean, they, they brought in, they're basically still like this. You know, they, they bring in guys that are past their prime. They can't really be the Yankees. They really just make mistake after mistake. And they're kind of a joke like that. Well, and, and now they're, they're point, broke, right? Yeah, right. Like, it's just, there's always this sort of drama. So um, at one point in there, and I might've been like 30 years old or so, I was like, what is the point? I'm, I'm not from New York. I don't, my father is not a sports fan. Like, I don't have that connection you referenced with Dallas. I mean, what am I doing this for? And, you know, really, that's, it sort of chooses you, right? Like, you either feel it or you don't feel it. You can right. say what you say about the Cowboys, but you're either going to feel something or you're not. And, and by, like, three or four years ago, now I've played different forms of fantasy baseball for longer than football, but uh, still, fair, like, in the last 10 years, this has sort of developed this way. I, I got into making bets, futures bets, uh, before the season on – wins and losses and you know, whatever. And that team that I would bet on or even against became my favorite team. Like that was the team that I was most interested in. I don't watch a lot of baseball on TV, but that's the team I would follow last year. It was Atlanta before the season I decided. And of course that's a Mets rival, but doesn't matter. But doesn't matter. Um, Last year I decided I was going in on Atlanta and their over under number was like 77 or 76. And it turned out to be an easy win. And I had them to win the division and I had them to win the world series and make the playoffs and all this. And it was so much fun. And I don't think I ever liked the Mets more than that. I, I don't, I don't think I ever liked my team for whatever the reason that people respect for you choosing which team you like, whatever it is, usually it's where you're from. I, I don't, I don't think that was more enjoyable than last year rooting for the Braves. And lastly on this, so I was tweeting about this a lot and people who actually do like the Braves got into it. And I had, you know, a half a dozen or so people that I remember hearing from a lot about the Braves and the season ended. And, you know, in the off season, they would reach out to me about a move or two. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't care anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm over <laughs> it now. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. Done. Once they lost to the Dodgers, that was it. And, you know, that has not been a problem for me emotionally. I, I sort of feel like I'm a good fit for that kind of uh, approach. 
So for me, what happened is I uh, I did grow up in like a smaller town in Kansas, like 40,000, 50,000 people. And then after I graduated college, I moved to Kansas City and, you know, I, I love football. So I go to the Chiefs games and like while I'm there, I while Alex Smith was here, you know, I rooted for them while I was there, but I didn't really care. And now they have Patrick Mahomes, who is like the you know the best player I've ever seen like watching him in person is like watching someone do magic and so pretty much this year I found myself not really actively rooting for the Chiefs so much as actively rooting for Mahomes and just being kind of bewildered by that and and I actually I think I recaptured a little bit of that magic or whatever of like what it's like to be 12 years old and like experiencing like a really joyous win for the first time. Like that was like a, a really cool experience and, and brought like some more passion and a little bit less like stone cold analysis, but I could easily see myself rooting for a different team next year. If someone else is more fun, you know, like it, it really is just about what's the most fun. Right. Right. And who's to say what should be or shouldn't be fun. I mean, I, I don't think I ever get back to that. But I'm not going to, I don't beat myself up for it. You know, whoever my fantasy quarterback is, is my guy. And I don't know, like, I, I don't, I, I don't mind uh, representing that, you know, like, I don't think there's anything bad about any of this. So, you know, as far as the Bills go, what, what I want mostly from the Bills is something to talk about. Like, that's my job. And, Sometimes, you know, that means kind of like pushing against the the public or pushing against the fans to try to get an interesting conversation going. I have to admit that that's part of it. But um, really, that's the that's the most important thing to me about them is give me something interesting to talk about. Last year at this time was the best because they were in the middle of the quarterback thing. Tyrod Taylor was going. He's about a month away from being traded at this point. And all the different – the draft intrigue was so was so good. They traded up again in the middle of that period. And I just thought, like, speculating about that was so interesting. Like, every day I went to work and just was excited to get into that and play out scenarios. And so this year, there's none of that. <laughs> this, this year, their quarterback is set. Even their two backup quarterbacks are set. There isn't even a conversation to be have about to have about like Josh McCown or somebody. The coaching staff is set, so it's a different challenge, you know. And so that's the thing about the Bills that like drives me is what what is there to talk about and is it is it interesting? And if there is something, uh, that's that's good for me. Well, it's pretty interesting to talk about. Josh Allen, don't you think? Because I think probably every person you would ask in the world of football would have a different answer about what they think of Josh Allen, what they think he could be, what they think he he will be. Like I, I, I bet you and I both right now, I bet we could talk 15 minutes about Josh Allen. Yeah, sure. That's right. Um, there isn't, I don't know. Tell me if you think this is wrong though. Like, I don't think there's really anything new to learn about him until September. So hmm. everybody's got something to say about what he is right now or what he was as a rookie. And it varies, you know, there's a pretty good range on him, uh, of course. And that's interesting in and of itself, but I don't know what I'm going to find out about him. It's going to make it, it's going to make it easier to predict uh, what happens between now and the regular season. Well, I think maybe an interesting conversation to have would be is the coaching staff in Buffalo the uh, the right coach to coach him? Because I actually don't know that much about Sean McDermott, and so I think maybe that is a more interesting conversation. Like, And you could even get into the overarching conversation of does the organization owe more loyalty to the coach or to the quarterback? Yeah, that's right. What they have here is like it's a culture team. McDermott is a culture guy and Allen was, as they saw it, and I don't know different, the right fit for them in that way, personality wise, and, you know, maybe vice versa. So that's been a big thing. Like that, that's kind of how, how they talk about themselves. And I, I would say that in terms of schemes, the offensive coordinator here did a pretty good job for Allen, but, in, in a very general sense, and I'm not, I'm not Greg Cosell, but in in a general sense, what that 
really means is they didn't they, they did as much as they could to keep him from having to read a defense. And so like yeah, part were of they, the were they trying to were they trying to win more this last season or were they trying to develop him more? I, I don't actually know. I I don't think they were really serious about winning at all. Like the year before I wouldn't say different really, but they did make the playoffs. But when you have a rookie quarterback, I think almost as a rule, you are you are more interested in developing him, especially if your coach or coaches are are also pretty new. So, like maybe Baltimore is an exception there, but really, it's a, that's a that's a different case. Um, yeah, so I think getting him acclimated, teaching him, it's you know why Derek Anderson is here still. Um, that that that's kind of how the Bills talk and how they act is that that sort of culture stuff is what it's about. I mean, I I still want to think that ultimately he's going to have to be able to play. Um, that's usually what happens. Right. So co- coaching wise, in a sense, in a sense is good, but I, I, I'm not very big on this head coach for strategy. And in fact, uh, his quote from the season at one press conference, culture trumps strategy that he then defended and explained. Like, I just, I just can't, I mean, in, 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 uh, in this, in this era of sports, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what I don't know what to say. That just leaves me speechless. Culture Trump strategy. Well, well but is that still, is that something that uh, is that something that like Bills fans like in the area do they eat that up? Like, is that is that pandering? Is that what they want to hear? Well, some probably. I mean, there's always a range, but yeah, I think I think McDermott like McDermott refers to blue collar a lot. Like Buffalo is not technically a blue collar city. And hasn't been for a very long time, but it's, it's ethos is, you know, it's, uh, it's history is more like that steel factories and industrial, right? The the city, the city used to be like top 10 in the country in population. And now it's in the fifties. Like it's just a lot different, but McDermott talks about blue collar. Like a lot of people in Buffalo do as, as it's fact. And it's not, it's not even right. But I, I think people, a lot of people just like that, that reference. Um, well, I mean, you could probably so, ev- probably every city in the United States thinks of themselves as like blue collar and hardworking, even if it's not rep- like, you know, that that's just something that people love to believe about themselves and their culture. Yeah. And, and by the way, those are two different things. Like you could be hardworking, but work at, a, at an office. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the notion is, but, you know, I, there's only so much you can really run against. I, I don't want to fight him on that. But I, I do I do want to fight on culture Trump strategy because I just think that that's baloney. I mean, <laughs> the, the Rams were such a letdown in the Super Bowl because oh, the Rams the Rams have been this team where it's all about strategy and we can bring in you know quote bad guys and still win and then uh, the Super Bowl comes along and they can't figure anything out. Um, I would I would like that to have gone differently. You know what? The thing is, though, is that the the Patriots were like the original version of the Rams. Like, clearly, the, the, the Patriots' mainline spreadsheets, they they do more analytics, they do more self-scouting than any other team. And so, I, I st- like, this, that Super Bowl was clearly, to me, a victory of two teams that analyzed the game of football in, like, a much deeper way. Yeah, I mean... Um... I'd like to think so. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I'd like to think so. Um, and, you know, there's only so much you can know from where we sit about what teams are really studying and, and using. You really can only sort of wonder. Um, like, if I, if I were to say, and I, I'm sure I have over the, over the last 10 years, like, what, what did the Bills really use analytics for? Who knows what it is? I mean, I know that they have GPS trackers on players' uniforms during training camp so that they can rest them after a certain amount of mileage, but I don't know what they use for down and distance. I know a little bit about what Philadelphia has, has done, which I think is great. Um, but really, with all sports, like teams are very protective of that, and that makes sense. So you really kind of end up guessing at that. I just – I don't know. I, I've never been confident in the Bills in this area because of thing, you know what their actions – uh, have been and also their results. So what is it like to try and have these analytics discussions in an area where the coach is saying things like 
culture Trump strategy? Like, what is it? What is it like to talk about the Rams or you know Cliff Kingsbury getting hired in Arizona? Like, like what kind of pushback do you get on that stuff? Well, I get some, but I also know there are a lot of listeners who not only understand and agree with it, but even if I may say so, maybe have come along through me to that to that sort of stuff. Sure. I mean, this is really this, this is really a very much very much an identifiable uh, trait of mine professionally is all this this uh, this category of topics and. In fact, here's an example of that. So, I mean, a lot of this stuff really isn't analytics per se, but whatever. Like last night I I met this guy and he said, I got to tell you, there was something you said a few years ago that I just have always liked and remember. And really you were right. And I said, what? And I I almost knew because this is like, I hear about this a lot. And I said, what? He said, you said long time ago that the Bills should draft a quarterback in every round. And I almost kind of roll my eyes at that now because really that would be a lot to do and it would just be so far away from all the other teams and you would have to do so much to cultivate that if you were to do that. Like it's so against every, the grain. Every round or every year? Every round or, you know, it's not, it might have been every round, but it, you know, it could be every year. It just could be a lot more often. Right. And, you know, you would have to do so much to change like how you were structured in order to make that work. Um, so I don't think practically speaking that that's really a good idea, but it's the kind of thing that people think of me for, um, like never punt and all this stuff. Uh, that's kind of me. So there's always pushback from people that just don't think like it's usually I don't know. I don't want to stereotype, but it seems like it's usually people who played football that don't understand it generally generally it is people who have played football that just that just think like oh you sometimes you have to punt or sometimes uh you know it it wouldn't make sense to have five quarterbacks or whatever i'm i'm totally i don't (laughs) think i don't think a team should draft a quarterback every round but i think a team should draft a quarterback every year i think if you're i think if your backup quarterback is the same guy for like four seasons you're not trying hard enough to generate either future draft capital or a future good quarterback back yeah and so a lot of these arguments come along and um i like to present them or represent them and i sort of enjoy the uh you know the pushback because most of this stuff i think you can stand with and even prove um and if people don't see it because their background is in being in a locker room where they were coached by other people who didn't see it, who were coached beforehand by other people who didn't see it. Like for me, that's kind of fun. Uh, momentum is a big one for that for me. Like, you know, whatever study after study shows you that really how you did on the last drive doesn't really affect how you do on the next drive. But nonetheless, you know, every announcer is there to tell you about it, even Romo. You know, guys who played the sports to tell you, no, it's real. Yeah, no, you Romo, feel Romo, probably the best announcer we'll ever have. And he, he still does some of the football guy stuff. Right, right. And I think he does it because it's sincere. Like, I think it just comes out. I don't think he's, I don't think he's pandering. So, like, that kind of thing for me, it's fun to have those little, you know, those moments where I can put that out and, like, show you, no, this is, the, this is actually what the deal is. Like, well, you never played. You know, I can just... That's just something. If I get bored, <laughs> then I'll just bring something like that up. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to toss something out there. So I do want to do like <laughs> I do want to do like five ten minutes on Josh Allen. What do you yeah. th- What do you think he is right now? What do you think the best case scenario for him is, and what do you think the worst case scenario is? And also to go along with that, what is your reaction? at the time that you basically realized that the, the front office was going to make this pick that was getting like universally panned. Well, let's start with that. Um, I expected it by like a day or two before the draft. When, once it started to sound like Cleveland was going to Mayfield, it was, you know, like, okay, this is going to happen. Um, I, I, I think it was like, what, how do I want to put it? It was not a, a, to me, it was not a great idea. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, 
And I think to a lot of fans, just the same, it was not a great idea when they had this party at the stadium for the draft and fans were booing when, when they made the pick. He also had like the day of that controversy about his tweets from earlier in his life. And right. that did not, I forgot, about, I forgot about that. Yeah. Like that did not to say the least endear me to this idea uh, either. So, I mean, you have a guy, what, what a, what a test case he is. You have a guy that basically was awful in all the important categories, be they advanced statistics or not advanced, like just what an experiment. And so, um, yeah, like that's how I, that's where we started. That's where, that's where I think I was when we started. Um, he was a great runner and the game against, there was a game against Minnesota in week three, they'd lost their first two games badly and they were a 17 point underdog in Minnesota and won. And in that game, he's jumping over Anthony Barr and he ran in a touchdown. Like, wow, like there, there's an athlete here. And really that was not evident to my knowledge. That was not evident in college about this guy. And that's something he, he didn't, he was like big and physical, but they didn't use him that way at Wyoming. Yeah. And you know what, Davis, like that's something you got to give the scouts. You got to give the people that, that like the pro day crowd and all that, the eye test people, you got to give them that because they would have had a, an idea of him as a runner that like I would not have had, but you know, most of his running was really not by design anyway. It was because it was like, look at your one read. And then if it's not there, you got to figure it out because he's not going through progressions. Um, so there, you know, that worked out for him. I mean, fantasy wise, he was excellent. Um, the best case scenario for him is if somehow he's able to do two things that seem to me like they would be really hard for a guy once he's into his career and that's read the defense and also improve his accuracy, like by a lot. I mean, I don't know if there, I don't know if there's that much of a track record of guys completing like 55% of their passes and then going to 65%. Like I would have to go look, but I would assume it's not super common. No, (laughs) I would also assume that. And like, if he gets to 60%, that's a jump. And that's also still terrible Yeah, in, in, in this league. So somehow like that has to change. I mean, he threw, he threw some of the worst passes you'll see in the NFL, but then also made these great athletic plays and can throw the ball super far. But if, if he can't, I have to think like if he can't read the defense and throw the ball accurately, he'll be out of the league. I mean, I don't know. Um, I know that they are, they've, they've gone this far. He had some success as a rookie. And so I, I don't think there's anything but a, like a, a straightforward plan to continue with him. I mean, he's their investment, but what's interesting about the bills to me right now is that around here, there's a lot of enthusiasm for him. Maybe it's because we're, you know, just so beaten down. Well, and he, maybe ended, it's genuine. He, he ended the year with a five touchdown game, which totally like the last thing the bills fans saw of him was him dominating a team. And that totally matters. Sure. Okay. Right. Like the last month, you know, late in the season, uh, there were some, there was some success. So there's a lot of enthusiasm about him, a lot of optimism for him in the fan base and probably in the organization. I have no reason to think there isn't, but I think this team's over under is still like six or seven wins. Like I, I think that will be what it's been, what it was last year and what it's been for most of the last 10 or 20 years. Right. And so what will happen like in the third year of this for McDermott and the second year for Allen, they, they can't afford to be bad. And if their win total is like six and a half wins, and I think that that probably is the number or close to it. Well, then you have a dichotomy there. You have the, the outside thinks you're probably still lousy and internally like you got to get somewhere. So next year will be interesting for that. The best case scenario is he improves and eventually gets a second contract and and he's here a long time, and the worst is he's out of the league in five years, and that would not shock me. No, no, I think that his range of outcomes is wider than any of the other rookie quarterbacks because I think at least all the other rookie quarterbacks will go on to be at the very worst, like capable backups, like Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, those guys will be decent backups for 10 years if they flame out as starters. But Allen, it just like, it, 
if he is completing 46% of his passes, it wouldn't even make sense for him to be a backup. But I could also see him having a higher ceiling than anyone. But Baker, because he has a better arm and uh, he, you know, he can run. The issue, of course, with running quarterbacks is basically basically one hit to the shoulder and your your career is altered forever. Yeah, and I guess I mean he's super big, um, but of course, right? Like, I, I think yeah, most teams wanted a backup, somebody that's just like pretty safe and can help through the week. Like Brian Hoyer got a lot of credit yeah. this week for for what his role is in New England, even on a team with Brady on it. So somebody like that, and I think Allen is the farthest thing from that. I mean, I think he's either your starting quarterback and he's unbelievable. Or he's a real challenge. I mean, Allen is Allen to me is a lot like Cam Newton, just like a raw. Yeah. He's like he's like sixty eight percent of Cam Newton. Uh, he he'll yeah. always be better on teams that have a lead. Uh, he's unlikely to ever be super accurate, and you always have to be worried about him taking a shot that will decrease his effectiveness. And you know, Allen Allen already walks a pretty thin line between between being effective and being, you know, a, a disaster. And so I, I am worried that uh, any injury or any sap to his athleticism could could just be like, uh, you know, franchise derailing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Newton is my favorite comparison in the league for him. And Newton has this, by the way, like Newton has this strange way of alienating people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. We had Kelvin Benjamin here and there was that little drama but uh, Allen seems to have, for as far as I know, like the full support of the people around him. So he has done a good job in that way, if it matters. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I think that I think that stuff definitely does matter, uh, you know, as a quarterback. All right, so another thing that we talk about a lot on this show is, you know, when you're when you're on a podcast or when you're on the radio, you are doing something performative. Like it, it is still being a character, and I think for you. I mean, you're on you're on four hours a day. What four hours a day, five days a week? Yep. Yeah. So so that's like a, that's a whole experience for you. And I actually I actually wonder if doing that so often makes the experience less performative for you. Do you feel as if the person that you are on air is the person that you are in real life, or do you feel that there's a divorce between the two? I absolutely I love this question, and I love to talk about it. I absolutely think I'm the same. And I think a lot about whether the job has done that to me or for me or vice versa. <laughs> like I'm, I, 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 am, I would imagine that, that doing the job has had a, a profound impact on your character. I would guess. Yeah, probably like it's been almost 20 or it has been 20 years and it's been 20 years of talking about losers like, yeah, 20, 20 years of talking about uh, NHL teams and NFL teams that just can't can't buy a win. Right. Like I, I think that that probably has mattered to the person that I am, and I don't even know. I don't know if it's good or bad. Like whatever. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't think of it as being very different. I mean, some the one thing that I'll put on at work is energy. I mean, yeah. I, I won't always feel excited to talk about Josh Allen or something, but at work you really have to. You have to give an effort when you do that, I think. And so that, that comes, that comes out. But like my, my, my grandmother is the person who in my family gets the, gets the credit for this or the blame for this in the way I am, which is like, I just got to be right. I'm not interested in hi, how are you? I'm not interested in, you know, uh, just like sort of the small talk. I don't, I don't not interested in talking about the weather. I'm, if I'm, if I'm talking about something, like it's important to me to figure it out or else we're just, you know, we're just dogs. Like it's just a waste of time. So I want to figure things out. I want to know what the point of the conversation is and I want to try to get it right. And so the job, I mean, I don't know if it's perfect for me necessarily, but like, I, I like me in that, in that job, in that way, you know, um, I'd want to listen. The people I like to listen to are like that. Chris Liss is like that. I mean, that's what I go to him because, like, I think that he is about that. He is going to want to be right here, and if it's not something he can figure out, then he's not going to care about it. <laughs> he's going to want that to move on. That is true. Yeah, that's definitely very true about Liz. Yeah, and, like, those are my guys. And so, in that way, 
I think I'm right for the job, but I think, you know, there are plenty of times maybe socially or just in, I don't know, and just in certain settings away from work where I might not do as well <laughs> because really like, you know, a lot of people get along without, you know, with that other stuff. I don't know if this makes sense, but I, I the, to your, to your primary question, um, no, like there's really, there's really no shift that I make at work. Well, to me, it sounds like your personality was more perfect for the job than, uh, you know, you molding yourself to being good at the job. Because if, if something you are super concerned about in life in general is just like being right, figuring things out, talking through things to arrive at that point, being a, a radio talk show host is pretty perfect. Yes, maybe. There, there are a lot of ways to do it. And if you know, if you know, sports radio, there are a lot of different characters. A, a lot of it is really yeah. just, you know, like it's just pandering and that, you know, I, I don't want to put down other guys in the field, but it just generally can sound to me like, I don't know. I don't know really what's there. <laughs> you know, I think it's just a way the, the job is ultimately to get an audience. It's not to be right. It's not to win arguments. It's just to get that the job is to get an audience. So I feel very fortunate that because I can be pretty strict about this, that my workplace has given me, you know, the chance to grow in it and to do it because I think it would have been easy for them to replace me with somebody more cliche, somebody more, you know, that will sort of relate to, if you will, the common fan. Because I, I don't do that very well, but I, I will challenge you and I will, you know, make that effort to be right. I think I have good ideas. I think that, you know, that that part of it is interesting. And um, and I'm from here <laughs> as it yeah. happens. <laughs> so uh, that's so like my most of my experience with sports talk radio is the guys here in Kansas City who are, you know, they're fine, whatever. I, I you know, neither, neither of them are superstars. But then the uh, the Dan Levitard show is actually the sports yeah. talk show that I've listened to the most. And I think they are similar in the sense that the, the, the content is not pandering, but also they're probably they're not as serious about being right. They, they kind of just like to they, they sort of point out how ridiculous it is overall to care this much about sports, <laughs> which is interesting yes, I, for people whose whole livelihood is dependent on it. Yes. Like there's an irony there that, that he uses that, that I, that I, that I can relate to, or that I will also use the same sort of point. Like, you know, <laughs> what you said. I think very highly of him. Yeah, it's, and, it's not nothing we've ever talked about on these shows is life or death. Yeah, he's he's super smart and funny. On some level, people, you know, he's had a long and great career. Yes. You know, on some level, people will go to him for the right answer. And I think with Levitard, a lot of that time, it's, you know, it's Kaepernick. It's, it's civics. It's sports and politics and real life. It's the hard ones, hard topics. Like he's somebody that I would expect to be right uh, or have a strong opinion in those areas that would uh, be backable. Um, and the, the way that show works with the other guys, you know, who can play off of him and some of the, the nonsense I think is, is really smart and good. Well, and they also got the, you know, one of the most fortuitous things ever is that they were the drive time big radio show. Uh, and, and really the national face of Miami media when LeBron James chose to go play there. And that was yeah. like, I, I bet, I bet if you, if you sat down with Levitard, he would admit that that had, you know, just this giant net positive effect on his career, which is, it's always funny how, you know, athletes uh, can o intersect with the personalities who cover mm -hmm. them and influence their success. Yeah, that, that might be true. Nothing like that has ever happened here. No, no. <laughs> there Forever was uh, what? What? Uh, no, there was some guy who like flew out there on a plane, right? Uh, maybe it was like I think maybe it was Aaron Donald, and he was a free agent, and then ended up not signing. Am I? There's there's some good story about a free agent going to Buffalo and then changing their mind, right? Or am I making this up? Well, there probably is, but I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of them. I I know that Marshawn Lynch was drafted by the Bills, so the. The, the, that great ad from the Super Bowl, um, the two-minute NFL 100 ad, yeah. which is just like guy after guy after guy who are legends in the league. There's no Bill in that ad, except for Lynch, who 
really nobody thinks of as a bill. Like he was he, drafted he, he here. He played he, there for like four years, right? Yeah, yeah. They traded him. He 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 started here, and he told a story about how. I mean, he went to Cal and was from Oakland and was drafted by the Bills and flew here. And as the plane started to land, he looked outside. He's like, where's the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> and, you know, New York City is is 400 miles away. Detroit is, is half closer. as close yeah. to Buffalo as New York is. So, I don't know. Like, probably there probably been lots of stories like that. Mario Williams, who the Bills signed, I mean – Mario Williams is the very rare big money player to sign with the bills to choose Buffalo. He was excited about how, as he, this is his quote, there were deers in the backyard. Like he, you know, deer, he liked the idea. Buffalo is kind of country, especially down in the South towns, like where Kelly lives and where those guys usually settle Steve Tasker and Thurman and those guys like Buffalo is quite country. And for Mario, that, that appealed to him. But if you're looking for the big city here, you know, forget it. Yeah, you won't get it. No. Um, okay, so final final thing is the the intersection of fantasy football and real football coverage. Uh, do you do you get to do fantasy football talk on the show, or you know, do you find that your listeners bristle at it if they're like you know real football guys or whatever? I get to do some of it. Some people bristle at it. My boss likes it, um, especially with the changes in legalized gambling. Yeah. I've been told that like they, they see me as somebody that can lead the station into that area because they know I pay some attention. New York tends to lag behind. I mean, New York, like New Jersey, you can bet on FanDuel now, but New York might be, it might be a long ways off. But still, like, I'm knowledgeable, fairly knowledgeable about that. I have a co-host who pokes fun at me for it because he he feels like that's his role to do that. He does not play fantasy sports. For me, really, it's all happened in the last two or three years. Um, three years ago, I might have been in one league. Then I had a friend who listened to Jeff and Chris a lot, and he was always telling me about Chris. He's like, "You gotta, you gotta listen to this guy. You're this guy." You you got to listen. You got to know who he is. I have this one friend, Joe, here in Buffalo, who, who was always telling me about him. And then eventually I started to do that, and he was right, I thought. So I got kind of hooked on their show and then that station. And I, I wanted to see last year, I wanted to see how many fantasy leagues, season-long le- leagues I could do and, like, juggle and make work. As you know, probably – you can't just be in a league and then just let it sit there. Like you've got to do the work. You've got to do the waivers and everything. And so this year I did 16 and that was massive. I mean like 15 minutes a day on a fantasy team. If you have 16 teams, that's four hours a day. And I might've come close to that. I have mornings to myself and I was spending pretty much every morning weekdays on fantasy football, which is maybe insane, but I did well. And I feel just as excited for next year this way. I know the guys I'm listening to are talking baseball now. I love baseball. I've really never done the kind of league they talk about, and I would like to. Um, But you asked me about the show, and, like, if there's a player, we're talking about a player uh, in any sort of random situation, I'll want to bring up the fantasy aspect. Uh, We don't do as much DFS. Like, I've never done a segment on here's a lineup structure you know here's here's a strategy you could use but that's out there um and you know we'll have fantasy guests on the show at least once a week during the season to talk about lineups and whatever yeah um have you ever have you done best balls yet like the the best ball drafts where all you do is draft it and you set it and forget it yes in fact this year It's the third season of a league that I started called February Fix, where we draft the day before the Super Bowl. So on Saturday, 12 of us got together and did an 18-round draft. We then do a six-round supplemental slow draft in August based on all the guys that, you know, we didn't pick here. Right. So it's, it's guessing at where rookies will land. It's no idea what the schedule is, but it's just a February Fix. It's a chance to draft this time of year. So we just did that on Saturday. Best ball. 
Who is your Who is your first pick? Travis Kelsey at eleven. What do you think? Yeah. Oh yeah. Travis. Yeah. He actually he will probably have just as good of a year. He's probably the only Chief that will be just as good next season as he was in twenty eighteen. Hmm. He might even score, yeah, he might um, even score more touchdowns because I don't think they'll draft a running back, so I think they're just going to keep throwing like forty times a game. I think Kelsey is is really so, really solid and safe, and also that I thought at the eleventh spot with what this year was in the NFL for tight ends, there was no chance at Kelsey Ertz or Kittle if I waited. So. I would have been right about that. It turns out the guy behind me wouldn't have taken Kelsey, he told me, so I could have waited to 14, but whatever. So Kelsey and Chubb were my first two picks. Um, we'll see. I've not done well in that league the last two years. <laughs> I don't know. Like Certain best ball strategies may, may have eluded me, but I, I just I love to draft. I love to do it. Do you have any, uh, before, we, before we get out of here, do you have any Buffalo-specific fantasy tips for, uh, for best ball season? Is Robert Foster going to be the man? I don't know if I would say tips. I think, I think they're very interesting at wide receiver. Foster did well. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, he was good. Um, he might be good if there is someone else good on the, on the roster to go with him. So I'm, I'm certainly not down on him. I'm not pumping him up because I don't know what Allen is, but I'm not down on him. Zay Jones also did all right after pretty much a terrible rookie year. Yeah. So they're, they're somewhere there, but I was in, I was in, I really didn't have any thought to like jumping up to pick those guys. Like Allen is still like the, the pivotal piece there. I think rightly, and he's going to have to be good for me to really, <laughs> you know, think well, that those I are mean, good yeah, ideas. Allen's but... going to have to be good for 16 games for the wide receivers to be good. Yeah, but it did work out. I mean, whatever last year was, uh, he was really valuable for fantasy, and so was Foster. So whatever that was counts for something. I just, I don't know. Like, I'm not, and, and running back, too. I, I, I want the Bills to have a running back who can catch the ball. I want them to be a team that stops drafting running backs high or signing them to big money, like one of these years sort of graduate to the new world as far as that goes. So I'd like to see someone new here, but they refuse to trade McCoy. They're still talking into the off season about him being back. And, and I don't know, like I thought he just had a terrible season. So I don't know what that's going to end up being. Yeah. He was bad. He was bad. All right, uh, I think that I think that should do it. Is there a way for people to listen to the show online? Sure, a few ways. Our app, our station is available through radio.com. We're an intercom station. You can find us, you know, you can stream the station right from WGR550.com. And I am at Shope Talk, which is S-C-H-O-P-P-T-A-L-K. Awesome. I will uh, I will put a link to your radio station in the the uh, description of this podcast. Thank you. All right. Hey, thank you so there's much lot, for joining. There's a lot of hockey just to just to tell you. Hey. I I, I like <laughs> hockey. I, I don't know if the list I don't know right. if the listeners like hockey. I like hockey. Yeah, Buffalo does. I mean Buffalo def- definitely likes his hockey, so there's a lot of that. But um, thank you for uh, giving me this attention today. I enjoyed talking with you.